Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Abundance Solutions Hour. Our goal is to help others be more, do more, and have more. I'm your host, Gregory Turner. I'm your co-host, Brian J. Henderson. Brian. Yes, sir. We have someone on tonight that's just going to be, oh, how can I say it? Awesome. <laughs> how awesome. can I say this? Tonight's gonna tonight's show is a very, very touching, uplifting, and just flat out powerful. If you ever thought that you couldn't do something, tonight is the night that you can make a decision, you can make that choice that I can do more. And Brian, yes. we all know people that have gone through some rough times and some tough times and they feel like they can't get up from where they are. But that's not the case for tonight. No, not at all. Yeah, have you ever experienced anything like that, Brian? Have you ever run across someone that was going through and you know, they didn't think, they, they, they just didn't believe that they could come out of the situation? Absolutely. I mean, in my daily walk, I talk with people and I see people all the time, and, you know, when you ask them about, you know, you, you know how you can tell that somebody's going through something, you know, when it's written all over their face, and it, and they're at a point where they're just discouraged, they're tired, they're worn out, you know, whatever their issue is, it basically has beaten them down, and, you know, they're down for the count, and yeah. they want to just give up, you know, but I just tell people, you know, you can't just give up. You know, because what, what, then what do you have? You know, you got to be able to roll with the punches. And, you know, and I said, you got to think about, you know, I always think about that picture of the frog and the stork. The stork swallowing the frog, and the frog has his hands around the stork's neck. And it says, don't ever give up. You know, so tonight, our guest is, it was in that situation where she could have easily just given up on life that's right she could have given up on you know on being who she was because of a situation that she was put in and put through but she chose not to she chose not to give up she chose to continue to fight and so tonight you're going to hear her story you're going to feel her story you're going to live and relive her story through her words and you know, Brian, I, yes, I want to say this before we bring her on. I was introduced to a guy, a gentleman. He was in a convalescent home. He was in his late 40s. Mm-hmm. He had his own business. He was working. He used to cut trees down for people. They called him the tree doctor, Tallahassee. Mm-hmm. This man has been doing this for over 20-plus years, and he fell from the tree one day, just a regular routine cutting down of a tree. And he fell and broke his back. Mm-hmm. And he was paralyzed from his waist down. Mm-hmm. And I went to see this man, uh, I guess, about a month later in a convalescence. And the things that he told me, it just shook me. He said to me, some mornings I don't want to wake up. Some days I just want it all to because I'm learning, I'm having to go through and learn everything all over again. And the doctors told him the same thing, that he would never walk again. And from this thing happening to him, he's gone on and got his degree. Cool, he, he did that. Now he, he's opening his own business, tree service business. I haven't spoken to him in a while, so I'm definitely going to call him after this show. I'm definitely going to call him tomorrow uh, just to touch bases with him and see where he is. But all his, his mindset changed because he wanted it to. He changed because he knew as long as he just laid there in the bed that he would never be able to walk again. So his attitude changed, and everything around him started to change. It just it seemed like he was calling me every day. He was excited. Look what I'm doing. I never thought that I would have my own business. I never thought 
that I would have the business that I have the way that I'm running it. He he always had his own business before, but he had somebody else running it. But now he was the CEO of his own business. He was running it. He was making all of the decisions mm-hmm. from a wheelchair. So tonight's topic is I Believe. Yes. And we have a very special guest with us tonight, powerful, powerful woman. I don't know if you've seen the bulletins that I sent out today about the show, but the videos and the pictures. Ladies and gentlemen, we have tonight Deborah Akbar. Ms. Akbar, are you there? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so yes, much for being here. Welcome to the Abundant Solutions Hour. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on. I think I, I'm just overwhelmed tonight. I, I really am. I saw the pictures of the accident, the car accident that you were in, and I, I saw the video, and it was just, it was just, it, it just made me realize that this could happen to anyone at any given time. So, how are you today? Oh, I'm doing excellent. Thank you. <laughs> I know you had to do a radio, two radio shows today. I know you're tired, but there's somebody out there that's going to need to. Your words tonight. No, I'm I'm enthused and excited and and just happy to share because uh, there were times when you know I wasn't you know where I'm at now and so it's my way of giving back. Awesome, awesome. You know what? If my friend was listening tonight, what would you say to him? Keep him going. Oh, I would say bravo. Uh, you know, just. The the thing that that always keeps coming back to my mind whenever everyone asks me this question is to never look at what you see in front of you because that isn't reality, and but to look at the vision you see in your head, the way you see it in your head is what will is what will be your reality. I don't care if you're seeing, you know, if you're in Iraq or wherever where you're seeing bombs or you're in a nursing home or you're living in a, a tiny bungalow house that you can't go from but from one room to the other, or uh, you're living in an apartment and you have no idea how you're ever going to, you know, get married and have your own home, see the vision that you see in your head, the dream, the, the daydream, whatever it is. Hold on to that. If you've got to write it down on pieces of paper and stick it up on your mirror or put it in your wallet to remind you that that, was your, that is your dream. And don't let anyone tell you, no matter how much they tell you, it cannot be done. You must always believe and have faith. And if you're not a praying person, start. <laughs> you know, if you don't believe, you know, if you don't believe in, in the Creator God, you know, Jehovah, then then believe in yourself. So you, you just you can't allow the fact that you don't see it in, in front of your face right then and there to keep you from, you know to keep you from having it. I mean, you can't allow it to, to go away. You can't let it dissolve just because the economy changed or there's a new president or, you know, the the building, you know, the owner of your building changed or, you know, your income just got cut in half or whatever. Or maybe you've had a bad month or something happened in your marriage or with the kids. Whatever it is, your your dream, that's what has to be your focus. And you have to revisit it. And, I mean, you have to look at it almost daily. It has to be in your head and it has to be in your heart. So I don't – it doesn't matter. It does not going to happen overnight and no matter how long it takes, um, there's an, and it's that, that an acronym, my favorite one, is PUSH, and it's, you know, it stands for pray until something happens. And that's what you have to do. You have to live every day until you have what it is that you always thought you wanted, that you always wanted. You have to live and you have to keep going until that happens. Or else the way I used to feel is that you would just die. So, and a lot of people do die. There's a lot of walking dead out there because they gave up on their dreams when the, the school teacher told them that they were slow or their boyfriend said to them that, you know, I'm only dating you because of some other reason, but you're really not that pretty. I mean, you, you, we've got all kinds of stories. You know, I, I remember a lot of times Halle Berry talking about people telling her that she was too pretty to be an, a Hollywood actress. I mean, come on, who ever thought that that would be a problem? You know, or the fact that she had a boyfriend that, uh, she has hearing loss in one of her ears because she, you know, she had an abusive boyfriend. Or you look at Oprah Winfrey. People forget. We just see the end result, but we don't. Right. We, we forget that there was a journey and a road that they took to get there. We see them and think, oh, it must be nice to be them. 
But trust me, they didn't just wake up and it was put into their lap. Yes. You're listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour. We have on with us Deborah Akbar tonight. If you have a comment or a question, you can reach us by dialing 718-508-9600. That's 718-508-9600. Ms. Akbar, you know, I, I want you to tell us about what happened to you. What put you on this path that you're now journeying on? You know, I, I, I must have been on this path probably from the, you know, from the very beginning. You know, I, you know, because I started out uh, in foster homes. You know, not knowing who my biological parents were, and you know, my dream kind of started from there. You know, I just want to live in one place with my own family, and uh, so it started from there. And you know, I had some some moments where that dream got sidetracked, like when I went into the military for a little while and. Um, got married and had a child, and then all that ended uh, in 1990 when I had a car accident. Uh, the doctors, you know, I woke up three days later after the car accident to them telling me, you'll never walk again. And I was so stunned that I was just numb for years. I, I was just numb to the idea of doing anything. I couldn't figure it out. But, in you know, in 1991, I went back to college. Uh, I met my husband, my second husband, <laughs> I should say. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I had another child. Um, I got married. You know, I got baptized, you know, because I finally realized that uh, the journey that, you know, that in order to have a relationship with my creator, that was really important. You know, I found out some really important information from from God's Word, the Bible. And, you know, I, you know, I, it just, I just finally woke up spiritually. And uh, I, I'm not going to lie and say it was not all easy because it, it wasn't. It, you know, I've lived from New York to California and every place in between. Uh, you know, and I've had times where I ran away everybody that would come within five feet of me because I just couldn't figure out why my life was the way it was. And, you know, I began to have flashes of brilliance uh, from reading God's Word, the Bible, from, you know, a lot of advice from my current husband. You know, the biggest thing was trying to figure out how do I be happy, you know. It's like, but this, someone would say, well, just be happy. And it was like, but no, but this, but this, but this, but this. And I was always talking about something that had happened from my past. It was like I was looking for someone to say, oh, that was too bad, or I'm sorry that happened to you. But, you know, and, and then when they did, but that never, you know, that didn't make the memory go away. And then I... I, I began to understand that to change myself in order to be happy, that had to be a conscious decision of my own. I had to decide that what I was thinking about all the time was not happening right then at that moment and that I had to leave them where they were. They were a part of the past, which, you know, the saying of the past, you leave the past, the present is, you know, the gift, and the future is wherever. I forget how that saying goes exactly. But what happens is a lot of times we're so unhappy because we're either thinking about what's going on in the future or remembering and regretting the past, and I did that. I went through that for several years of just, you know, why was I a foster child? Why didn't my parents, why didn't this, and why didn't I find Prince Charming? And, you know, and, and what they don't tell you in the, fairy tale, in the fairy tales is that sometimes Prince Charming does not show up on a white horse and living in a, in a, in a mansion. You know, sometimes he shows up in college, um, and he's uh, going through a divorce himself, and you become friends, and, you know, five years later, you get married. So it doesn't happen overnight, you know, and they don't get down on one knee and put a two-carat diamond ring on your finger. But, you know, your prince is who you make him to be. So right. it's it's just about, it, you know, and like I said, it didn't, it wasn't an easy task to get here. It took a lot of reading, and I mean it took a lot of tearing down the old personality, stripping that off, I mean, moment by moment, you know, and, and, and putting on the new one. And deciding that I wanted to be happy, that no matter what happened, I wanted to be happy. That was my target, my goal. I want to be happy. And if I have to be happy just sitting in a wheelchair, then so be it. But I'm going to be happy nowhere, no matter where I am in life, no matter how much money I have in the bank or whether I live in the par suburb or I live in, you know, the, 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 the housing project. But I, I just decided I was going to be happy and that I was going to be grateful. And, and, and that's as a result of, like I said, counseling, um, reading books, so it wasn't like I just woke up and this is the way I was, because it wasn't. It, this is a, a long journey to get to this point. Yes. Yeah. I, I want to say that, and I want to ask you this. When did you make a decision 
to be happy? I know you said it, it took some years, it took some time. Uh, 1996. And the, and the accident happened 1990. Yes, and I after six years, I you know I began looking at at, at stuff, and it was just like. You know, I remember, you know, just I was always asking anybody that came my path, how did you do that or how do you do this? And, you know, and they didn't have the answers, you know, or they couldn't, I mean, they could only tell me what they did for them. And, you know, I, I just decided, you know what, that my husband said to me that happiness is a conscious decision. And I just decided, well, that's just what I'm going to do. I don't know how, but that's just, that's what I want for me because I'm tired of being miserable, crying, blaming being playing the victim role, it's 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 not easy playing the victim role, and it's not happy, and it doesn't feel good. And I was just tired of not feeling good, not being happy, and you know, I but I couldn't figure out how to get out of it, and it was, that was what no one could tell me how to do it. I had to figure it out myself. So when you finally made the decision to be happy, was it once you realized that you were able to do it mentally? Was it? Did you think? Oh, that's all I had to do? It was this thing? Yes. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> I felt like I could, if I could have kicked myself, I would have. And you know what? So many people are on right now, and I have a really good friend that's in the chat room. She's she's going to be married pretty soon. And I think with newlyweds and people that are married, we we can be happy no matter the situation. It's a decision that we make on a daily basis. It's up to us to be happy, but we make it so difficult. Mm-hmm. Because you know please what happens. How we, please tell us how we can make it easy. <laughs> well, one is if you have the electronic income reducer, don't watch it. And don't read the fairy tale because in order for you to be happy, your happiness has to come from who you are, the individual. You know, And you have to decide that, I, I know that the stand, industry standard says, okay, a, a, a diamond carrot or a two-carat ring or a three-carat ring is, is the style. But maybe the man that loves you can afford to buy a half a carat, or maybe he can afford to buy you a jade. You have to just be grateful for everything, for every moment that everything comes into your life. And don't judge what happens to you based on what you see happening happening to other people. That's what I learned because I used to have this bad habit of saying, oh, it must be nice. It must be nice until I started asking people how they got to where they were, until I started reading books of how people, what journey they went through to get to where they are. And uh, it wasn't easy. It wasn't, they didn't just flip a switch and, you know, charisma happened and happiness happened. They had to work at it. I mean, they had to exercise, and they had to eat right, and they had to get enough sleep, and, you know, they meditated, and they, they read books, and they went to seminars, and they just, you know, they, they didn't beat themselves up when they made mistakes, and they just, they just kept getting up. Day after day after day, they just kept getting up, and they didn't let something keep them down for too long. Uh, and a lot of times, a lot of it is you can't, whatever it is that you decide what you want for you as the individual, you can't listen to those voices on the outside of you. You can't listen all the time to, you know, well-meaning relatives and, and advice shows. If it, if it feels good to you and it's not going to break the law, then you should go for it. Someone tells you you can't sing, but you love to sing, you know, then take some lessons and go for that dream unless you really can't sing. You know, you just... You just have to go for the dream until you can't do it anymore. I mean, I've read story. I had to continue to keep reading stories. I read a story about a man who, I think he's 88 today. He's on YouTube. He said he got his college degree when he was 60. Uh, I, I read about a man who went and tried to get his, he went to the bar uh, to get his uh, the law, I mean, not that he got his law degree, but he tried to take the, the bar exam. He took it over 60 times and failed every time until the last time. And he, I think he was in his 70s when he finally passed. I, so it's just, you just can't give up. And, and even when you say you feel like, God, I just want to give up, I'm just tired. Go to sleep, I don't know, do something to relax. You know, tomorrow's going to be another day for you to try. And, the only, and, and you just have to realize, too, that every negative thing that happens in life, there's a positive side to that. 
So if you think the lights are cut off, there's something positive in that. Guess what? Now you can sit down and spend some time with your family without the TV and the laptop and get to talk to them and find out how their day really was. Yeah. And then you'll go in a couple of days or whenever you can and pay the light bill and turn it back on. But in the meantime, you've gotten to spend time with your family. So there's something positive about that. You know, you, you, you spent more time with them. You had great conversations. Maybe you hugged them and you hadn't done that all week or you hadn't done that in a while and didn't realize it. So out of everything negative, something positive happens. I mean, the car accident left me a C7, C8 quadriplegic, but, you know, I couldn't get a date to save my life before then. You know, afterwards I get married and have a child. I mean, come on. Out of everything negative, there is something positive. There always is. And you just people just have to remember that if you have to write it on a piece of paper and, and stick it on your, your mirror, um, you know, to remember, to remind yourself, out of something, out of everything negative, there is something positive. There absolutely is. That's powerful. That's so powerful. We're going to take a minute break, uh, Deborah, and we'll be right back. Absolutely. Okay, we're going to take a minute break. Tribune Classified section, may I help you? Yeah, I'd like to place an ad for an apartment I'll be renting out. Okay, how should the ad read? Uh, sunny one bedroom, 850 square feet, modern kitchen, hardwood floors, $1,000 a month rent. Available immediately, unless you're African American, Hispanic, Asian, Middle Eastern, Indian, or a member of any other minority group. Okay. Uh, apartment is also unavailable if you are female, have children, a disability, or believe in a non-traditional religion. Anything else, sir? No, oh, yeah. Can we have the pets are okay? Certainly. Unfortunately, housing discrimination isn't always this obvious. If you think you've been a victim because of your race, color, national origin, sex, religion, disability, or family status, call 800-669-9777 or visit HUD.gov. Fair housing. It's not an option. It's the law. Brought to you by HUD and the Ad Council. Yes, if you're just joining us, you're listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour. We have with us tonight our special guest, Deborah Akbar. If you have a comment or a question, you can call us at 718-508-9600. That's 718-508-9600. You know, Ms. Akbar, I was just actually looking again at your video on YouTube where you're actually driving your car. <laughs> yes. And um, I didn't listen to it because, of course, we're doing the show live, but I watched it. And, it, and you know, a lot of times people take for granted some of the simple things that, you know, that people who aren't quadriplegic are able to do. And just watching you, it just, you know, it just amazed me. You know, not in the fact that you were able to drive, but in the fact that, you know, you didn't give up trying to drive. You know, you were still driven to do the normal things that that people who are not in your situation are able to do and we usually take for granted. You know, so tell us, was it, and I know, of course, it wasn't easy, but I want to, I want to hear from you. Was it an easy process or was it just a tough process? And, and how did you get through it? How did you get enough, what can I say? How did you gain enough courage to get back behind the wheel? Well, I, you know, I don't know if it was really courage. It's just that because I wasn't the driver of the, you know, at the time, and I think that had the driver been drunk or, or maybe if, our, if my accident had been the result of me being careless or something of that nature, I, maybe I would have had some trepidation. However, since that wasn't the case, I just felt like, oh, you know, just drive, you know. Just go get a license because I need to get around and I want freedom. And, you know, that I like I said, you know, it, it, I think that w when people decide not to drive, it, you know, it's for some specific reasons that they know maybe it was something that they did. Like maybe if I had been drunk, uh, maybe I probably wouldn't get behind, you know, or if the driver had been drunk or any of the other passengers or if we had been doing something reckless like, you know, speeding on purpose or something. I, I think that I would have had different uh, I would have felt differently, but I didn't, and that wasn't the case, so I just didn't have any trepidation about driving. And once I saw how it was done, you know, that it would, could be done from a van or, you know, transferring from a wheelchair to the chair of a car, it was like, hey, I want to do it. I want to do it. So I just did it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Did you ever think we live in a world that 
everyone wants to figure out the reason why things happen. People come up to you and say, well, you know, was it something that you did to make this happen? And I think, you know, from our earlier conversation, that people ask, were you drinking, were you whatever, whatever. They're trying to figure out why this happened. How, how did you deal with people that were asking you these questions? Um. The direct approach, I mean, I just asked, answered specifically, you know, uh, uh, no one's asked me that in a while, but when it first happened, I got those questions a lot, you know, and I and I just was honest with them and told them that, you know, I, I, I didn't know why I had the car accident. Uh, you know, I've surmised my own answer as to why it happened since then, but, uh, you know, if I could share that with you. Uh, yeah, go ahead, please. In all honesty, up until that point, you know, I had lived 23 years. Uh, I was not a very grateful person. I was not, like I said, I complained all the time. You know, I wanted things to go a certain way, but I wasn't grateful for anything. I mean, I didn't know God at the time. I didn't I didn't thank God for having life or being able to do anything. I wasn't, I wasn't grateful for the small things or the large things. I just, you know, I just existed, and I just looked at myself as being a survivor. You know, because I had survived some things, you know, some not-so-pleasant things that went on in the foster homes where I grew up. And so it's not going to make sense to anybody, but to me, I think that the accident happened. I I firmly do not believe that God did this to me. Uh, But I believe it was was my own just wake-up call that you had so much to be grateful for. Uh, and so now, every day that I wake up, you know, I am grateful to Jehovah God, and I do thank him for breath or being able to hear. I don't focus on the things that I can't do. Uh, I focus on what I can do, that I can speak, that I can hear, that I can smell, that I can hug my husband and my son, you know, that we live someplace where there's no religious persecution or that, you know, my home is warm or that we have food to eat. I mean, there are t- there are days when I feel just that sad or depressed that just saying prayers and thanks for those things, I can't even remember what I was saying about. And, you know, and I, of course, you still go through um, stuff that happens that as a result of the disability, you know, things that are connected to the spinal cord injury that, you know, makes me uncomfortable at times. But I look at everything else, and I just focus on that. And it's not always easy, but I've learned that that's, that's the formula for me. If I focus on the things I can do and focus on the things that are going well, then it makes things that are not going so well have less of an impact on my overall personality and how I'm feeling. Yeah. I mean, there are days when I truly get up, guys, and I tell you, you know, I don't wish to be anyone else, anywhere else. I mean, I don't wish to be in the lap of luxury. I don't wish to have, you know, the, you know, the 45-bedroom house or any of that because... <laughs> My life is amazing. I feel wonderful. My kids are healthy. My husband, you know, is is working someplace where he in, that he is doing something he enjoys. Uh, I'm able to homeschool and be here and raise my son. You know, he's 11 and healthy. He's not on drugs. We're not living someplace where we're you know where we're afraid to to, to step out of the doors. I mean, just you know, we could, I could be living in Iraq or 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 someplace that's being bombed all the time. You know, or, you know, I could be I could be in a nursing home. I mean, that's where I was headed um, until I found a place to stay. Uh, I, you know, I was headed for a nursing home because I didn't have enough movement to sustain, the, to, that, that they thought I would to have to sustain independence living on my own. So I could have been there, uh, but that wasn't the case. And so that's, the, that's really the key is that no matter what's going on, find Something, even if it's just that the sun shined in your world that day, be grateful for focus on that, and everything else will seem just smaller by comparison. Wow. You know, Ms. Akbar. Yes. I want to ask you a question about um, your life as a foster child. Oh, okay. <laughs> if I may. Absolutely. Go ahead. You know, because. I've had foster children who have lived with me. I've dealt with a lot of foster children. I deal with them now, actually. And, you know, the thing that I've learned over and over about children that are that grow up in foster homes is that they have so many issues that they deal with. And 
that when they become adults, they're really not equipped and not ready for adulthood. Oh, I'm raising my hand. That was me. <laughs> That's true. Now, there's a time that I would have been furious to hear you say that because I, because I would have known that it was true. I would have been upset. But today, you know, with everything that I've gone through, I realized that I wasn't truly, I didn't really truly probably grow up till I was right around 35. Right around 35 is when things started to make sense, that I stopped being, you know, stopped being ungrateful. And, yes, um, being a foster child is just not easy, I, I, you know, unless you are put into a home and stay there for the rest of your life, and that usually doesn't happen. And I, um, the first foster home I was in and the last one uh, were very, very good, and some of the ones in between weren't so good. I mean, there are things that happen in foster homes that, People don't like to talk about, mm-hmm. and um, uh, you know, but and, and and those issues, if they're not dealt with, you know, for me, I don't know why or how, but I was big on counseling. So I went to psychiatrists and I went to counselors, you know, most of my life. Uh, probably I went up until ooh, maybe thirty-ish, thirty, thirty-one. Uh, and, you know, I felt that I got all I could get out of it, and then I, you know, I found a, a boatload of books that I began to read, and, I mean, you know, it was just, uh, you know, I just started looking into self-help, and it's like, you know, I, I just thought I was ready to, to start doing more things on my own instead of sitting in an office, but you, what happens when, when a child goes through something traumatic, like, you know, like being sexually abused or being physically abused, once they're out of that, they need counseling to help them to deal with it and to help them to understand and appreciate that it wasn't their fault why those things happened to them, that it wasn't because they deserved it. That's the biggest thing. Uh, a lot of things I felt like I deserved because there was something wrong with me. I felt like I deserved the, you know, not to have the prince or the, the, the wonderful life because, well, my parents didn't love me, so, um, you know, you know, I just didn't, I just felt like I didn't deserve anything. And it's like, that was my whole premise on life. I don't deserve anything. And that's all I talked about. And that's all I focused on. And when reality, I had a lot to be grateful for. I had a lot more going on in my life than I, than I just allowed myself to realize. So everything that happened to me was no one else's fault, but mine. Once I became an adult, mind you, once I became an adult, I was responsible for my own happiness and things. But as a child, as a foster child in the system, I, you know, I just, I don't know. I don't, I think foster care can be good uh, if it's going to be a child in one home uh, with one family. But you have some people that take children uh, just for the money, uh, and then you have some that they take the children and, you know, they're, they're just, they don't, the child never gets the sense of feeling that they belong to that person, that this is their mother or their father. It just, after a while, it just becomes a title that you use because you don't know what else to call them. And it's just, right. it's not the most positive, you know, it's not it's not because of the foster parents themselves, because there are some good foster parents out there. But oh, yeah, after a child has been in so many homes and has been through so many issues, and you have, maybe you have your own children and the foster child, and maybe you work and you can't totally sit home and, focus 24 hours a day, seven days a week on them to help them get through those issues and maybe you don't know what all of them are until they just see this as another place to live and they just try to survive. You know, they're just functioning. They're not really living. And, uh, and, that, and that ends up coming out when you're adult. You act out, you know, in, in inappropriate behaviors because I went through all of that. Yes, you know, it's, it's, it's funny you would say that they just focus on living because yeah. I've actually witnessed and seen you know, some foster children where they would hoard food. You know, we'd cook a huge dinner because we would invite just, I mean, we would invite kids and family and everybody comes to my house on Sunday, you know. And so we noticed that some of the foster kids that we've had come through would hide food, would hoard food. Some of them would, if they didn't eat certain things, they would, like, throw it under the table or hide it in their pocket, you know. I mean, just stuff that you would say, wow, are you serious? Mm, you know, probably wouldn't because what happens a lot of times is that everybody, you know, everybody has their own ideals about how a child should be raised. Mm-hmm. Um, I lived in some homes where uh, 
I was given so much food that I felt like I was going to burst. And if I didn't eat it, I was disciplined physically. Uh, and then I lived in some foster homes where I, I thought I was going to starve, that I could not get enough to eat because the proportions that were given to me were not enough for a child my age. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, it, it's, oh, gosh. It's a wow. It's just, uh, you know, it, it, and, th- and that's, that's where those behaviors come from because some, they, you never know the place where they lived before. Maybe they weren't given enough to eat. Or, you know, and, and I'm going to tell you something else. Sometimes food, when you're a foster child, sometimes food is the only thing you have control over. You have no control where you're going to live. You have no control whether you get your own room, if you're going to share it with someone else. You have no control when you get up, when you go to sleep. Uh, you have no control whether you're going to get any affection or not. And sometimes food, believe it or not, is the only thing you do have control over. So you take it and, and keep as much of it as you can. Eat it when you feel, I mean, that's the only thing you do have control over. And then sometimes you don't even have that, hmm. you know, depending on where you live. My, my, my. Let me ask that's you this. I really think that before uh, people are allowed to become foster parents, there should just be some extensive, uh, you know, not just background searches, but I mean counseling and, all, you know, not just, just I, I know some people have said that, oh, they took foster parenting classes, but I mean, it should just be extensive. It should just really be extensive because you're going to be responsible for another human being's life. And even though I was one, I know to this day, I don't know, I can't say with 100% certainty that if I have everything there is to give to someone else's child, you know? Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, that's the sad part about the whole issue of foster parenting is that you have so very few people that want to do it because of the fact that they don't feel they have what it takes. And then the ones that do it, you know, and this is just a small majority. This is not all the foster parents because I think the majority of foster parents are really, you know, caring, loving people who want to try to make a difference in a child's life. But unfortunately, the way that the system is, you know, the way that the system is, is made up, it's it's hard to get good foster parents because you put so much love and care, and the system teaches you not to fall in love with a child because they can move them at any time. And, see, that's and, another and so that's really like the dilemma here. Yeah, the moving part is the part that I don't understand why it's necessary to move a foster child so much. Um, well, the reason they, they don't want that child to become attached to the parent, to the foster parent, because the foster parent is always seen as a temporary situation. So they should be looked at, you know, as... They should be looked at differently. They should really be seen with different eyes because if if it's a good fit as a foster parent for several months, then maybe they they could they would be in a position to adopt. I I know the last home that I was in, I was the first and the last home. I both were times that the parents, the foster parents, wanted to adopt me, and my biological parents interfered uh, or wouldn't give that permission. So that was my situation. But there are a lot of times when foster parents want to adopt, and you know, and I don't know why they're moved along. Or, you know, there's some, some hoop that they jumped through that they didn't pass. I don't know. But it just, uh, it, it does, it, it, I don't know. I, it just left a sour taste in my mouth as, you know, being a product of one. I don't, I, I probably could do a lot better job at being a foster parent than I'm giving myself credit for. I, I just don't know with the way the, go, the governmental red tape, that that's the part that, prohibits you from really being able to do a good job. And they t- like like telling you not to fall in love with them. If you fall in love with the child and they fall in love with you, why shouldn't they be able to stay there? Why do they have to move? Right. Well, I, think- I, wanted, I wanted to ask you this. With all the things that you've gone through in your life, with being, growing up in foster homes and then having accidents, and then going through a divorce. How many times have you looked back over your life and just asked the question, why? Uh, well, I would say up until 35 I asked that question quite a bit because I was still playing the victim role. And I would ask myself, why did this happen? Why did that happen? And today I when I ask a why question, 
I've changed that question. I, I read this little book called, uh, oh, God, what is it? The, it's by Noah St. John. It's called um, Affirmations. You know, a lot of people use affirmations, but this is A-F-F-O-R, Affirmations. So now instead of asking myself, well, why did that happen or why did this happen and getting, you know, feeling bad about it and getting the negative answer that or, or an answer that could or maybe I'm asking a question that couldn't be answered, like why did the car accident happen or why did my parents love me? You know, what I ask myself today is why am I so loved? You know, why did I meet such a wonderful man, you know, in 1993? Why are my children, you know, successful young adults? Uh, why am I able to homeschool? I ask myself a better question. So I would say up until 35, I asked those questions that gave a negative answer or there was no answer or nothing that was going to make me feel good about myself as a person. I mean, today when I ask why, you know, it's like, why am I doing so well? Why do I feel so good all the time? And you, when you ask yourself why or question, period, your brain, your subconscious mind begins to search for an answer. And when you're asking a positive question, it only finds a positive answer. Wow. Well, like I told you, a lot of books, uh, it, it's a lot. It, it, I invested a lot to get to this point. Um, key book, number one, was, uh, I'd say, was the book of Proverbs and the book of Psalms. And after that, you know, it just, I, you know, stuff like, I, you know, I hate to sound cliche, but people like Tony Robbins and uh, Wayne Dyer, uh, any book or any free stuff I could find that, you know, or at the library that had to do with self-help, it just spoke to my insides, like, you know, the healing power of gratitude. I read that. It's called Count Your Blessings, The Healing Power of Gratitude mm-hmm. by Dr. John F. D. Martini, And it gives you exercises. And it asks you, what are you grateful for? Make a list of what you're grateful for. Uh, one of the exercises that it took me three times to read the book before I figured it out, it said to write down the thing you hate the most and then to write down the things you're grateful for about that or how it serves you. And I was so angry. I said, There's, you know, the thing I hated the most was that I couldn't walk. But then I, th- then I said to myself, that's the, the dumbest question. How can you answer something like not being able to How is that serving me? And you know what? I forced myself to come up with answers like, um, you know, there's handicapped parking or, you know, my husband does the cooking or my husband does the laundry because, you know, for, for physically, obviously, reasons why he does it and I don't. Right. Um, or, you know, that they, there's a... A such thing as a wheelchair accessible van. Um, you know, just I, I have a whole, like, there was like 30 things on the list. Uh, accessible bathrooms or, you know, I get a 10% discount because I have a disability or I get a 10%, you know, discount on my phone bill because, or I get free 411 because. And so, I mean, they didn't seem like great reasons, but they were ways that my disability served me. And so it, it just allowed me over the time that I did the exercise to stop looking at being disabled as some, as some sort of death sentence or so some sort of awful whatever. And when you stop looking at anything and everything in your life as being awful and start to see the positive side of it, that's when life just, you, you start, it's like you're looking at your life in a whole new way. It's like you're seeing it for the first time, you know? I, yes. Yeah. Yes. You know what? And that's when you turn around and you give, you get on your knees if you can, and you give thanks to God because, you know, I could have lost everything for not being grateful. I could have lost everything that I have in my life. Yes. We're going to take a quick break, in, uh, a 30-second break, and we're going to come right back, come right back to you, okay? All right. Treat me with understanding. Treat me with respect. Drug and alcohol addiction is an equal opportunity disease. Treat me without judgment. Individuals in recovery come from all walks of life and deserve to be treated with respect for winning one of the hardest battles there is. Treat me with courtesy. Treat me with humanity. Alcohol and drug addiction deserves proper treatment. For drug and alcohol information and treatment referral, call 1-800-662-HELP. Okay, if you're just joining us, you're listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour. Our special guest tonight, for Akbar. Akbar, there's a book out there where you were talking about books. I, I just finished reading a book by Max Cato. The book is Facing Your Giant. Oh, I've got to get that. I just saw that. Someone sent me an email and said I should read that. If you haven't read that, you should. It's a very, very powerful book. 
and I have a friend, uh, the lady that I was telling you about, that's just about to get married. Um, I suggested, Cheryl, I suggested uh, you read this book. It's a very, very powerful book. It will make uh, things that you never thought meant something. You will see the little things and, and the fears that you have and why you won't face your giant. But with that, I want you to give out the information to your foundation, and I also want you to give us some information on the surgery that you're going to, or, or, or not surgery, I don't know if it's a surgery or whatever um, medical thing that you're going to have down in Miami in March. I need you to give that information out to everybody. Okay, well, the blog, which is where they can find the, the link button to make a donation if they, if they you know, would like to do so, is uh, www.iamakbar. So that's iamakbar.com. Iamakbar.com. Um, the First Step Next Step Foundation should be in place in April of 2008 upon my return from Miami. Uh, if they'd like to see videos, uh, they can go to www.youtube.com forward slash the number two and the word ideas, I-D-E-A-S. Uh, I also have a MySpace page uh, where they can hear an interview and read more about me. <laughs> not all about me, but uh, it's myspace.com forward slash Deborah Akbar, D-E-B-O-R-A-H-A-K-B as in boy, A-R. So those are the three places that you can uh, learn about myself. And if you'd like to know more about the procedure, which is called Brucker Biofeedback, uh, you can simply go to www.sci, that's Sam Charlie. India dash therapies t h e r a p i e s dot info and then forward slash biofeedback that's b i o f e e d b a c k dot h t m it's rather long so I'll send that link to you that if you'd like to post that it's also on my website the where the blog is and on my MySpace page as well as my YouTube. Uh, the, so if you'd like me to tell about Brucker Biofeedback, I yes, was yes, yes. wanting to tell you about that. Dr. Bernard Brucker uh, actually started working with this procedure in 1969. Um, it, it's a, what it is, it's an audio information. Um, you use this to train um, subjects you know, or patients to alter uh, blood pressure, heart rate, muscle tension, and brain activity. That, back in 1969, was first termed biofeedback, okay? And uh, Dr. Brucker, what he does, uh, how biofeedback works, is <clears throat> it's called EMG biofeedback, and it's, um, you basically, it, it, you extend it into the areas of deficient neuromuscular control, okay? And there's a machine that is, um, the, like, the electrodes are placed on the muscle areas and also on the brain. Uh, it's called a neuromuscular re-education. Uh, and basically, it just restores the function to paralyzed limbs wherever there may be some. What happens is that if there's some neural control that still remained there or has since uh, repaired itself. Uh, because in reality... Even though you have a spinal cord injury or stroke or cerebral palsy, the muscles still work, but you aren't able to physically get them to work. So the, the, the stimulus from this machine and the brain acknowledging that, oh, this muscle works, let me tell it what to do, is um, what this procedure does. So it just allows the muscles that used to work to now work and do the jobs of the muscles that no longer work. Sound complicated? <laughs> no, it's it's gonna be it's gonna work like a piece of cake for you. Absolutely, because what it does it what it does it will the, the machine which is the electromyography the EMG it senses motor action potentials which are nerve impulses or the signals with um, precision and sensitivity much more so than you know we we as humans can do with the naked eye and. The therapy itself determines whether the, the, the bioelectrical function of uh, the person's muscles, whether it, it'll either directly or indirectly reveal the function condition 
of the spinal cord and the brain. So during the actual treatment, uh, the patient is requested to perform, in, you know, specific movements, and then they use uh, a movable graph on a computer screen, and then the EMG, that's the um, electromyography machine, uh, provides a, a visual feedback of uh, the neural signals that reach the target muscles. So then the patient, or they call them the subject, uh, uh, may actually have to have repeated attempts to find the neural pathway that will actually deliver the signal to the target muscles. Uh, but sometimes that signal is, can be too weak um, for the patient to notice themselves with the naked eye. Now, with the therapist, once that neural path is found, then the patient is asked to make the EMG graph grow, um, which means you do this by trying to increase the strength of the motor signal that reaches the muscle. Um, now, again, like I said, we may not, the patient being myself may not be able to sense that signal, and it may be too slight at first, but the moving chart, which is the visual, is what provides the, the reinforced stimulus necessary um, for the operant learning, relearning, and re-educating the muscles to actually happen. So it sounds complicated, but it, it you know, <laughs> that's the, the, the more of the technical explanation of it. And so when you get the, the visual feedback, it, it, it teaches the patient how to reproduce, um, how to maintain, as well as control the responses so that they get the maximum improvement in their muscle function. Um, and this is combined with behavioral conditioning, um, and rehabilitation. So when I return in April, I will uh, also need additional rehabilitation upon, you know, coming back from having this procedure done. Awesome, awesome. We have a, uh, Deborah, we have a, a young lady in the chat, well, on the on the lines right now. Just wanted to tell you that you're such an inspiration to her. Call her from the 407 area code. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Thank you. Yes, Deborah is on the line. Hi, lady. I Hi. wanted to talk with you. Oh, awesome. How are you? I'm doing really great. I've been going through a lot of just turmoil within my mind because, like you said, it's upbringing. I wasn't in a foster care, but my parents and stuff had a lot of issues. I understand. In turn, I, came, I have a lot of issues. And as an adult, I'm just barely at the survival mode because I have nothing to draw from within. And I do read a lot of self-help books, and I've spent a lot of money. I tell Gregory all the time that I've spent a lot of money with self-help books and stuff like that. But the thing is, what I've been missing is that love factor because I, I didn't really feel love, and I didn't really feel like there was any outside source of love coming in. And Greg has been working with me over, I don't know, a period of months now, it seems. And I just had an epiphany the other day. <laughs> As I was looking in a book, it talked about, it's a 12-step um, um, program book, and it's a Bible relating to the serenity prayer and to the steps. And the book talked about how when you are a child and that stuff, that bond is broken and you don't get that nurturing how you no longer can trust God, the church, people, friends, family, how long you just can't trust that they love you. And um, I know that the correct answer would say, you know, well, then God is love and he loves you and let him be everything. But it, even that, your concept of God and love is tainted. So my prayer had to become... Just a few days ago, my prayer had to be, Lord, refresh my my thinking of love. Let me be able to see what love really looks like so that I know if I'm looking at love the right way, if I'm looking at life the right way. And I found out, no, mm -mm. my thinking and my sight is have been very clouded with negative thoughts and with with negative feelings. So your your story and, and, and what's going on with you and what you've learned is just finally, after all of these years, it's finally coming into play in my mind and I'm finally being set free. 
Awesome. Deborah, do you do you have anything to say? Oh, I you know what, you are on your way. That's absolutely fantastic. Uh I was gonna share if you're if you can write this down, it's called he uh I'm sorry, the release technique. Uh T H E R E L E A S E technique. T E C H N I Q U E uh dot com. Uh I found them on YouTube some months ago. It's called the release technique. They you know, after you sign up they give you a couple of MP threes on how to release fear and worry, and on how to release uh, frustration and anger. And, you know, I try to get the free stuff myself personally. I either get the books from the (laughs) library or I go for the free one-day seminar. You know, I'll pay for the hotel and food, but, you know, if they have a free something they're giving away, I usually go for That's like their introductory. I cut down on my cost because I have read stories of people who say they spent hundreds of, you know, tens of thousands of dollars on stuff and still felt they got nowhere. And, I, you know, I would like to keep the cost well below that, uh, so I usually get the books from the library. But this is um, this technique has been helping me to release fear because I had I, you know even in in wanting to do this as much as I uh, I know that I'm going to walk, uh, you know I had to release some 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 fears. What will people say? What would they think? Will people still be my friend? And you know I heard all these voices going around, and I just had to say stop. I released just I said go just all of this fear just go. I don't need you. You're not serving me. Go. And I, and my husband was saying, who are you talking to? And I'm like, I'm talking to myself. <laughs> because truth be told, the fear and the anger and the anxiety and the trepidation we feel, it's not coming from outside of us. It's coming from us. And no one tells you that. And a lot of times when you see people and they look like they, you think that they're so happy, that's why later when we find out when they die that they were Either, you know, maybe they were living a, 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 an alternative lifestyle. I'm not trying to put anybody down. Or maybe they were an alcoholic. Or, like, look at this guy that just died, that they don't know whether he committed suicide or, or what. You know, he was just in a major motion picture. You know, he, you would think, you know, he, should, he, he was married and had a child. All of the trappings that they say to us via society that should make us happy. But for whatever reason, he wasn't. So um, that release technique, um, those free MP3s, if you can download those, work really well. It's very easy. Uh, you know, I release a lot of because what happens is we get these these negative emotions, and I, I know for me, I suppress them. You know, I thought, okay, if I don't talk about a bad memory or feeling bad or when I'm upset with my husband or something of that nature, that oh, if I don't talk about it, that makes me a good person and I'm okay and everything's fine. Or I just pray to God and say, God, please, please, please do something about it. Do it, do it, do it now. And uh, truth be told, it's like, well, wait a minute. He didn't give me those feelings. He didn't make the bill late, and he didn't, you know, I didn't. He didn't make me lose a sale. So why am I expecting him to do something about something that, you know, in in essence, is under my control? That you know, it's up to me to release. And a lot of people don't know about this, but if you release negative feelings, and it's as simple as it sounds, I mean, simply close your eyes and say, fear. Go away. I release you. You know, I, I no longer need you. Thank you for the lesson that you've taught me. I know that sounds crazy. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. But I, I literally close my eyes. I open up a door. Because you know how you feel when you feel that fear? It comes up in the pit of your stomach or it's in your chest and you go, oh, my gosh. And you're breathing deep and you, or it's in your stomach and your stomach hurts or you've got a headache. That's fear. And if you open a door, I mean, imagine yourself opening a door and say, fear, go. I mean, what do you do when you have an unwanted guest in your home? You open the door and say, please leave. You have to go. It's time for you to go. Martin used to do it all the time on his show, get to step and go. We have to do the same <laughs> thing with negative emotions. When those negative emotions come, when those negative feelings come, we have to open a door and say, go. And I mean, keep saying go until you feel a release from it, until you feel released. And it doesn't happen overnight. You may have to do it for weeks or months. I don't know, but I, I found it on YouTube, and it's, it's, it's excellent. It's, uh, it's, this guy's name is Larry Crane, and uh, he actually got it from Lester Levinson before he passed away. And uh, this is a man that healed himself of cancer, or, or some, he had some ailment that he healed himself from. And, and, and to also share with the, the caller, uh, I, too, understand what she's saying about the feeling of love, and it, it's not easy to do. But Deborah. it wasn't, I didn't really start Deborah. to feel love from God yes. um, or other people until I started saying to myself that I love myself. Oh, and I'm going to say Deborah. something. The first time I tried to go in front of a mirror and say, I love you, Deborah, I broke down and cried. 
I couldn't Lord. even do it. I could not look at myself in a mirror and say, I love you. I couldn't do it. And it Deborah, took me months. I rolled by and I say, I like you. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> yes, we have yes, about so- 10 seconds left. Oh, well. Thank you for coming on the show. And make sure everyone, you go back and listen to the show so you can hear about talk and talk. Radio. Oh. <laughs> we almost made it, but go ahead. We Bob. almost made it. <laughs> For those that are still listening online, on on the phone, go back, listen to the show, get the information, make a donation. Okay? Make a donation. We thank you again for listening, and God bless. Deborah?